0: Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Katrina Jones, Vice President of Racial Equity Strategy and Impact at Fannie Mae, to talk about affordability challenges in this market and how Fannie Mae is working to address those.
1: Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Programs Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association, and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on Realtrends.com, and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin.
0: Katrina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate being here. Oh, so excited to have you on. And this is such a great topic. So we want to talk about affordability and the challenges in this market and, you know, how Fannie Mae in particular is addressing those challenges. But I feel like this market has even gotten more challenging as far as affordability in the last two weeks. I mean, what we're hearing is that, you know, we've seen the prices going up and what we're hearing is, especially in some areas of the country, you're back to things like, Uh, Bidding wars, multiple offers, which is not good for affordability. Are you hearing those same things? Well, certainly. Um, I'm really, first, let me say I'm proud to
2: be able to work with our businesses and so many stakeholders across the housing industry to spearhead our mutual uh, equity efforts. Um, Fannie Mae launched our inaugural Equitable Housing Finance Plan last year and it now supports our corporate strategic plan to improve the access to equitable and sustainable housing. And since drafting our initial plan, it seems like such a long time ago, but it was just back in 2021, we've certainly seen an array of powerful economic and housing market forces that have combined will certainly challenge our efforts more so today than we've seen in decades. Uh, so for example, mortgage rates, we all have seen them, they've risen to levels that we haven't seen in the last 20 years, which has increased the cost of borrowing after a prolonged period of unusually low mortgage rates. And double in that or on top of that, home prices have risen more than 35 to 40% on a national level since 2020 to the beginning of 2023. Um, as you can appreciate, this is put buying a house increasingly out of reach for a number of low-income consumers and historically underserved consumers who want to buy their first home. At the same time, the month's supply of existing homes, this is what people rely on, especially first-time home buyers. It remains at historic levels. Um, and let's just add in inflation. It's increased significantly. Um, What I tell my family is when inflation becomes part of the mix, it reduces the amount of income all of us have to be able to put toward mortgage or rent. Um, What I've tried to explain inflation with my family is if you think about the beginning of the year, the monthly mortgage payment on a newly purchased median price home would probably take more than 30% of your income. Um, And that's just based off the median income household. Just think about it. Two years ago, it would have only consumed less than twenty percent. That's how hard it's gotten out there from an affordability perspective.
0: It really does make a huge difference. Um, I was just talking to my family member la- last night about uh, inflation. We were talking about going to the grocery store. We both have a bunch of kids; they're grown now, but we're like, I'm I'm just buying for a very you know one person now instead of like eight people or whatever. And we we're like, how are people affording it? with their families right now. And I do think that that just really eats into their overall budget.
2: That's so true. That's so true.
0: I like that you brought up the fact that, um, you know, first time home buyers, you know, you're not going to see first time home buyers, generally speaking, go with a builder. Those tend to be, you know, more expensive homes. Um, and so that existing home, um, you know, those listings, those new listings for existing homes and the inventory of, of, of existing homes is so important. And to your point, we've seen that, really just stumble this year and and those other two things you know when you have higher rates then you expect that you're going to see prices come down a little bit that's what you know your n- normal knowledge about the housing market would lead you to believe but because of the lack of inventory then we have this double edged sword right there
2: yeah it, it's certainly a tra- a challenge not only on the interest rate fronts the lack of affordable housing supply and as i said earlier inflation um, and those are the challenges that I talk about impacting underserved communities right now.
0: Well, let's talk about those underserved communities. Um, what do you feel like are the specific things within that that you know make it even tougher for them?
2: Oh, yeah, you know that's a great question um, because we've also seen unprecedented levels of the increase in monthly rental costs. Think about this at the end of twenty twenty more than 40% of renters, households in our country, they're spending greater than 30% of their income just toward housing. We didn't talk about the inflation component. And when that happens, those households are deemed to be classified as being housing cost burden. Um, this is where renter households are really spending more than the 30% of their income. And one of the things I've always said, it's disproportionately comprised of historically underserved renters and low to moderate income renters, making it even more difficult for these families to not only build savings, um, but think about building savings or being able to accumulate generational wealth when they're ready to become a first time home buyer. They're not going to have enough assets to cover upfront housing costs. So if you want to stay a renter, How do you think about first month's and last month's security deposits? Um, Or if you want to buy your first home, think about the cost of down payments, closing costs. And what I always tell my family, you must have reserves or that safety net savings for those who want to buy their first home. You know, that lack of savings for upfront housing costs. It's one of the key obstacles we see in underserved consumers or in communities. And we've also documented it across what we call the Black and the Latino housing journeys that we recently published with the Equitable Housing Finance Plan. What we've also seen as historically underserved consumers, they have the home, lowest home ownership rates in the country. And based on a number of public studies, these populations, they stand to represent the largest growth in household formations between now and 2030. So they're gonna become the new renters, they're gonna become the new prospective home buyers, that are gonna be able to address household or home ownership gaps today. I I always tell uh, those folks across the company and those that I speak with around our equity efforts, these populations represent the greatest opportunity for multifamily and single family uh, industry stakeholders to not only serve a growing population of consumers, but addressing their volumes, their own strategies to achieve their market shares.
0: I think that's such an excellent point because when we think about underserved borrowers, we might think, well, these might be harder to qualify. You might have to do some more, um, you know, different kinds of underwriting. You might have to really expand some of your products and some of your expertise in um, offering those products and being able to deliver. At the same time, if you don't figure out a way to serve some of these people who are who are coming up and going to become the majority of, of home buyers in the next. You know, ten years. What are you doing? I mean, there there is not only just a you know you should do it because it's right, but there's a a really a, a business case here. It's a business imperative. <laughs> a business imperative. So tell me about what is what is Fanny doing? I mean, you know, so you might also talk about you know what are some of those equitable goals that you have, and then how you guys are achieving those.
2: Yeah, you know, I appreciate that the question because much like our conversations, understanding the landscape, understanding where we've been and how we've gotten here but importantly, understanding how we need to serve a future uh, population of consumers who exactly what you said, they're going to need new solutions, capabilities and technology to meet them where they are, Um, to set us off with um, addressing the needs of of those underserved consumers. uh, We recently published the second installment of our equitable housing finance plan. Um, this year's installment of the plan includes 25 new and existing actions, so that's up from 17 actions that were in the first uh, plan that we launched last year. And what I would highlight there, that demonstrates our ability to take in input from market stakeholders, be adaptable, adaptive and flexible to uh, market and housing economics that we just talked about. This year, the actions in the plan, we try to simplify it and be focused on addressing the key obstacles that are shared across two historically underserved groups, and that's the Black and Latino housing journey. From a racial equity and housing perspective, the two obstacles that we believe we're best positioned to address is reducing upfront housing costs and eliminating outdated barriers related to insufficient credit. And when I think of or speak to insufficient credit, think of low credit, think of consumers with no credit, think of those consumers with thin credit. It's so important to understand the dimensions of credit here because our actions cover off on all three. The other piece, and this is what you'll hear all of us talk about here at at Fannie, uh, we just really can't lose ground, meaning we don't wanna just focus on getting people into housing. How do we help people families be successful no matter where they are on their housing journeys for long-term housing. And that's our housing sustainability focus. So it's really thinking about it from a financial preservation perspective and a property preservation perspective. Improving the long-term housing success for underserved homeowners and renters is so important and you'll see us doubling down our efforts on education on counseling so that consumers are empowered to successfully navigate the home buying and mortgage process and helping renters and homeowners. Um, The way I think about it here, we want them to stay housed. This is how you create a stable community and a stable housing system. Um, When you read our actions in the plan, you'll see that collectively the 25 of them, uh, this is where, as I said earlier, We believe Fannie Mae working in partnership with others across the industry. This is where we bring the the benefits of all of us to have the greatest impact through our core
0: competencies of the Fannie Mae's businesses. So I think one of those is um, the pilot program around, um, rent. you know, reporting rental history for credit. So to your point, you know, a lot of people who are trying to get in this, they just have a thin credit file. And that's because renting hasn't c- counted for credit for a long time. Um, that has been changing. So tell us a little bit about that program.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this will be my youngest son. He has a thin credit file meaning he has one credit report, but that's all one credit card on his credit report, I should say. Um, what I'm really excited about is, we call that our single family positive rent pay history. Um, we now can see him and encourages lenders to consider a renters history of reoccurring on-time rent payments as part of the eligibility assessment for a home loan. I'm really excited that since we launched the initiative, I wanna say back in September of 2021, Um, we've seen some tremendous adoption and utilization of the service. We've helped lenders qualify nearly 4,000 first-time homebuyers for a mortgage using their history of consistent rent payments. So think about that. These are loans that are now eligible to be sold to Fannie Mae. And the other benefit we see is half of the applicants that are benefiting from this service, they represent half of the minority groups across the country. Um, It's really pretty powerful when you start to see one of the most powerful, one of the most reoccurring monthly mortgage payments you make be part of your qualifications for a mortgage. But let's go back to the housing journey real quick because we're at the the buying part of the housing journey. Let's say you're a renter. Less than 5% of rent payments are reported to the credit bureaus today. So what we've done is working with our multifamily um, property owners we are now incentivizing those property owners to report on-time rent payments for renters who choose to participate. And since last year when we rolled out the program, really excited to see that we've onboarded more than 250,000 units to take part in this pilot. It's helping um, more than, I think its last number was 8,500 residents. These are residents who have no credit scores, now have credit scores. And so those residents who had an existing score, we are starting to see that their average improvement of those credit scores have been on par to like forty points. I mean, it's pretty powerful to see how those with no or existing scores are starting to see the benefit of having their their reoccurring monthly mortgage payments, or excuse me, in this case, their rental payments be counted for, finally counted for, with the credit bureau systems. And most of those residents in our program, they're actually in census tracts with a minority percentage of more than 50%. So again, trying to address an acute obstacle that's shared across a number of consumer housing journeys in a scalable way so that we see people, whether they have thin credit, no credit, or low credit.
0: Well, and I mean, this is not like some risky thing. It's like these are people who are finding the money and have the resources and are putting it towards their housing already. This is the amount they're already putting toward housing. So why shouldn't that count towards their ability to put that money toward housing when it's a mortgage? Absolutely. My son said, finally, someone sees
2: and will give me benefit for the monthly rent payment that I'm making without taking on more debt to demonstrate my credit worthiness. Pretty powerful.
0: I love that. Um, So part of that is like the automated underwriting enhancements, right? So that you know, because it all of these things are great ideas. If they're not really practical for, um, you know, for the credit unions to see, for the lenders to consider, for whatever, I mean, it's not going to happen, right? So tell me a little bit about the automated underwriting there.
2: Well, this is our flagship platform. It's called Desktop Underwriter, used by thousands of lenders who originate first mortgages across the country. Uh, What's pretty powerful about it, this is a scalable way where we can deploy and distribute Fannie Mae selling guides and our requirements for allowing loans to be eligible to us. So last year, not only did we introduce uh, the single family, positive rent pay, giving you credit for those individuals who demonstrate their ability to make a mortgage payment today. We now consider those in our credit assessment through Desktop Underwriter. We also introduce cash flow assessment in Desktop Underwriter late in December. So what does that mean? So for those consumers with no credit scores in the credit bureaus, we now are able to see you by looking at 12 months of automated um, bank statement data. We can see your cash flows in and out. And with that, we can start to establish your ability to pay your on-time payments or pay your t- payments, your debts on time. It's just another way to help consumers be seen who are making their payments for month, monthly rent, for telecommunications, for utilities. We see all those payments and then we can give you benefit for seeing you in an automated way. So that those loans can also now be eligible for sale to Fannie Mae. So we're new in the beginning of this. We're certainly going to be learning and evaluating the effectiveness of our cash flow assessment model and desktop underwriter so that we can determine how do we need to pivot and adjust as we go. So pretty excited about that new automated tool that we've made available in the market late in December.
0: Yeah, that is really interesting. You know, another another thing that you guys rolled out was the continued, the pilot that you have for special purpose credit programs, right? Because one of the biggest obstacles, which you already talked about, was that down payment. And so those special purpose credit programs, I have such a hard time saying that. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> um, we call it SPCP. Much better. Um, You know, one of the foundations of that is uh, one of the hallmarks of that is just the down payment assistance. So tell us a little bit about that and why we might be seeing a little bit of an uptick there right now. Yeah. um, You
2: know, when you you think about the, the way the program, the equitable housing plan is set up, it's really focused in on the areas where we can have the greatest impact. And it's focused on, as we talked about earlier, those consumers with insufficient credit. So, what are we doing for those consumers who lack the generational wealth and savings and they want to become a first time home buyer? This is where we've created a program that understands the unique uh, needs of special consumers or consumers in, in markets who have not had those needs met from a first time home buying perspective. We launched last year our very first pilot around special. Purpose credit programs that allows us to be able to provide down payment assistance and other closing cost support for first time home buyers in six pilot markets, working with lenders who have the opportunity to reach the consumers that we're trying to reach in in those markets. Uh, our goal here is to test the effectiveness of working with lenders who are contributing as well to those down payment assistance as well as Fannie Mae. Are we able to enable greater access to mortgage credit by eliminating one of the largest barriers to families who want to become first-time homebuyers. So definitely looking forward to learning more this year and assessing how do we continue to take those learnings and enhance the program for the ben- for the benefit of the consumers we're trying to meet reach in the six pilot market. So pretty exciting about that one as well.
0: Yeah. And I know part of that, um, I don't know if it's part of the special purpose credit programs uh, or separately, but you're also looking not just at the down payment, but the closing cost, right? Like, um, you know, that can be, it, it's, it can be the difference between being able to do it and not. So how does that work?
2: Oh, yeah. So it's, that's a super question because as my brother who's trying to buy his first home, he's very focused on the down payment, the down payment. I said, okay, Michael, don't forget what down payments. There's this other piece of the transaction called closing costs. What are closing costs? Those are the costs. That allow the lender to completely execute and provide mortgage f- fulfillment, whether it's appraisal costs, whether it's settlement costs, whether it's cost to get your uh, all of the work around your flood insurance, whatever it takes to ensure we have a fully documented package. And what I said to my brothers, let's make sure not only do you understand those costs where we can, let's understand the opportunity to shop around to get the best pricing for those costs. So Closing costs are important for people to understand. And that's another area where Fannie Mae is testing our ability to look at the various aspects of the closing costs. Can we help reduce them by working with others across the housing industry who control a lot of those costs for the benefit of the of low-to-moderate income families, first-time home buyers, and others? Who can see closing costs as a huge impediment to being able to execute on their first home?
0: You know, I have a big family, so I've got a lot of kids, um, but also I have twenty-four nieces and nephews. And so, oh my goodness! So you're all of their trusted advisors. <laughs> yes, exactly. They as their so, trusted advisor. I should say. So some of them have bought homes, but you know, a bunch of them are just hitting that home buying age, and so I feel like I'm having this conversation all the time, and it always exactly <laughs> yes. what you're Like, okay, so now there's closing costs. They're like, wait a minute, you know, we already had this and, That's right. Right. Um, so I love. Saving. Don't forget to remind them about
2: reserves. What are reserves? When you're a first-time home buyer and you put all your money into down payment, you put all your money into covering off the important, the important elements of
0: closing costs. You got to have savings.
2: Those are the reserves.
0: Those are the reserves. And wow, and you know we all know from the financial crisis, but but other things too is that like just getting into people into homes is not enough. Um, as you as you right. mentioned at the beginning of this, it's it's the maintenance is the making sure that they can maintain the home and they can yeah. they can do that they can sustainably do that.
2: That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and one of the things that we see especially with first time home buyers when i was a first time home buyer i knew nothing about filters <laughs> i knew nothing about furnaces. Uh, I do know there there are things I need to do to maintain my home and be able to ensure that we support its ongoing, you know, equity because the home is improving in value. But those were things I had no idea what to uh, think about and how to approach it. And so we have a tool called HomeView, which is getting to be a pretty, it is a pretty powerful uh, resource available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is something you may want to think about using because you're a trusted advisor with your nieces and nephews. But it's we're looking at the entire housing journey. How do we educate and ensure that first-time home buyers are home and mortgage ready? So they rent smarter, they buy smarter. The other piece that we're starting to expand into, how can they ensure that they own smarter? How do we help them understand how to keep that savings going for those un, unexpected what I call financial resilience issues because your motor goes out on your car, the the furnace goes out, you got a roof leak. You, know, you need to be able to rely on savings to help you get through those temporary income interruptions. And then long term, you need to ensure that you understand How do I change the furnace filter when it's time? Because it's so important as we continue to maintain the most important investment that we're going to make in our lifetime. So, yeah, and the housing journey is important. It's complex, but we need to ensure we're meeting people where they are in their housing journey. With the resources, with the tools, and with the support that they need. And you, as a trusted advisor, you know, to help them through it.
0: But you know, even a trusted advisor, um, two houses ago, my husband and I moved into a house and we had owned like, I don't know, five houses by this point, and we could not find the filters. Like, we're like, (laughs) they they were like up in the attic as part of the thing. Like, they weren't like where they normally were, and we're like, okay, are we, what are we missing? Like, we should know where this is. And it was just.
2: Oh, I get that. That's No, it's so true. Every time you go about any part of changing your housing journey, it starts all over again, the learning. It's so true. It does. It's so true.
0: Okay, so the last <laughs> part I wanted to ask you about was, um, you know, Fannie Mae has definitely um, been focused on the appraisal modernization, and they have it under their equitable housing plans. So, so you know, tie those two together for me. How does your appraisal moderni- modernization or maybe evaluation modernization, I'm not sure what we're calling it, but... How does that? How does that work with the with the equitable housing plans? What What a great
2: question. And and the way I want to answer it, let me step back because all of the actions in the plan and our efforts to advance equitable and sustainable housing, they're they're actually driven and continue to be guided by what we call the consumers' housing journey. Um, what I appreciate about the journey, it's a data driven, evidence based framework that we build not by the lines of our businesses, but actually from the vantage point of consumers. And we've used this uh, consumer-centric framework um, to document with facts and data and research all of the barriers to stable housing and long-term successful homeownership. Uh, Last year was our first uh, use case with the housing journey where we focused on black renters and homeowners. Uh, We've applied the same approach with the development of the Latino housing journey um, that we published this year. The reason why I bring that back is the key takeaways is those housing journeys helped us to drive focus and prioritizations on the obstacles where we can have the greatest impact. So we talked about from an equity perspective, insufficient credit. It's one of the key obstacles across the housing journey. We talked about upfront uh, housing costs um, and ongoing housing costs from a stability perspective, those are key obstacles on the housing journey. Another key obstacle on the housing journey is this fair and equitable outcomes when it comes to looking at uh, appraisals and the valuation process. Really excited to see our collateral and strategy team start to identify with data and research What are those obstacles? What are the root causes behind them? And you'll see in our equitable plan, there's a whole body of work and actions related to modernizing that part of the housing journey so that communities of color, families of color, ideally the goal here is to have fair and equitable outcomes when it comes to assessing the value of properties. So think of that in the context of the housing journey, think of that in the context of the action where we have the greatest impact. And think of that in terms of the impacts and the outcomes we we aspire to see when, as our team executes on the strategy there to modernize the appraisal process for the industry, for the communities, and for the families we're trying to serve in the plan.
0: Yeah, no, that was... Big news when you guys, uh, you know, laid out some more options there on the valuation part. And that is something that you uh, can uniquely do, right? Like if, if you change the way what you're accepting, that's going to, you know, lay down a path that other investors might also do and and also just change the conversation. Yeah. Well, and I would also
2: offer, as you think about the actions in the plan, and um, it's, not, it's not lost on us that while we can help to establish and set standards, we cannot do this alone. Uh, we need the partnership of so many across the housing industry who's going to lock elbows with us, who's going to help us understand the obstacles, help us understand their role in addressing the obstacles. And we're going to do this in partnership. Across our mutual strategy. So yeah, we can't do it by ourselves and it's important for us to appreciate that. Well, certainly an area where we can have the greatest impact. Think about the impact when we start doing this in partnership with those across the housing journey.
0: Well, and that's why we wanted to have you on Katrina, because that is our audience. They're the people who are executing on this every day. Absolutely. And um, I know they're interested. We're going to uh, link to those equitable housing plans um, in the article that goes with this so that people can find that easily. It's it's pretty cool how you guys have you know compartmentalized like this, is the education part of it. This is what we're doing with the pilot programs. Like it's, it's a uh, roadmap that's uh, pretty interesting to read. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and appreciate you.
2: I appreciate you and appreciate your audience and appreciate the opportunity to serve future household formation and homeownership. They're gonna be driven by a new group of consumers that we haven't had to, we haven't really served very well in the past. And it's certainly an opportunity um, that all of us who are advancing strategies in this place to work together. And despite the housing and economic market conditions I'm pretty excited that we remain undeterred to meet the spirit of our equitable housing plan. We're gonna measure the success of our plan by how many of those barriers that I've been highlighting, how many we knock down, how many are removed, and whether we do so in both a safe and sound way for not only the consumers we wanna serve, but for those across the housing finance system and as well as Fannie Mae. So we got a lot of work to do. It's a lot of sustained focus, we need to start to lean in on here. And I really appreciate your readers time and the opportunity to partner with us.
0: Absolutely. And I love ending on that optimistic note of like, yes, we have a lot of challenges, but you know, we're not going to stop until we, we get there. So thank you again, Katrina.
3: We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all of the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM, and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register.